Hello, you're listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast. My name is Ali Maxwell and I am alongside George Ellick and for, by my count, the 99th time this season, we are releasing a podcast talking about the EFL, about the Football League and for some of you it might be the first time you've listened this season and it's a better time than ever because I feel like we've waited for about 10 days, I'm not sure it's been quite that long, but... The playoff finals are upon us, George, on bank holiday weekend, Saturday, League Two playoff final, Sunday, League One playoff final, Monday, Championship playoff final. And we think, as long as they let us in, we're going to be at all three for the first time since we started the pod. Seriously exciting weekend ahead. Yeah, really, really up for it. Um, Three fantastic games on paper. Um, And just, I think, going to matches that mean so much um, as a neutral, it doesn't really get much better than that. So, um, and it's not one of those occasions where you'd rather be at home on the telly. You want to be there. Um, so, yeah, I can't wait to. Th- there's uh, that. There's that sense that like every goal is just so important. You know, as, yeah. as you said, because the outcome of the match is so key during the regular season. We, we're across everything on a Saturday, and we, we, you know, we treat the highs and lows as if it, it really means everything. But this truly does. Every goal has such a huge impact. And also, you know that if I mean, if we watched Newport or Tranmere get promoted on Saturday, the moment, the key moments of that game will be career-defining moments for the players. They'll be defining moments of the fans' lives. So to be witnessing that firsthand is massive. And that's why we love the playoffs so much. I mean, there is an argument to say that it's a bit absurd that a whole season boils down to 90 minutes. But um, let's remember this is only sport and uh, it's there for our entertainment. And it's going to be very, very entertaining. Yeah, we did have someone tweet us actually asking whether we thought that the format should be changed. And... Uh, either just the third place team go up automatically with no playoffs or have a, a sort of sort of thing like what they have in the National League where um, the third place team would just play, it would be one leg and they would be at home against a sixth place team, fourth place at home to fifth place, just one leg. I mean, I, I just can't get on board with that after the semi-finals that we've had. They were all... Just amazing. Every single one of them was close. Uh, three of them went to a penalty shootout, one in each division. The other three all um, decided by one goal. It, it really felt like a, a true treat. And that Leeds derby game, George, basically won for the ages, wasn't it? I mean, I'm known for hyperbole, but I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that. You're known for hyperbole and momentum. <laughs> the two things you're known for. Uh, it was absolutely incredible. It's hard to really nailed down just how amazing a game it was, given that it was just so one-sided. When, that's a bit harsh on Derby, but Derby didn't register a shot on the first leg, and Leeds were well on top for the first 43 minutes of the so second So no leg. shot on target in the first leg. They had a couple of long shots yeah. go wide. Mm. Their first <clears throat> shot on target was Jack Marriott. I know. Well, they had four shots on target in the whole, over the two ties, I think. Amazing. Um, and that's not to take anything away from, from Derby, who managed to basically descend the second half against Leeds into absolute chaos, which mm. played into their hands massively. Um, it was end-to-end. Uh, they finished their chances very, very well. Uh, the, the decision... Frank Lampard has, has gained a lot of respect in some circles for, his, for that 45 minutes. Um, I would argue that maybe starting David Nugent up top on his own in the first leg and then starting no real recognised striker up top in the second leg wasn't a particularly smart idea. Having said that, Marriott hadn't scored in 17 games, or 17 appearances, I should say, because most of them were off the bench. So you can see why he was probably short of confidence. But for Marriott to come on and score, I mean, it feels like this was ages ago now, but to come on and <laughs> score, the, score the two goals, uh, Mason Mount and Harry Wilson as well stepping up to the plate. I mean, absolute nerves of steel from Wilson to, to slot away the penalty. 
and just a collapse from Leeds that, I mean, we, we've seen this season at times, they are, you know, the, the sublime and the ridiculous. We've seen them be so, so good. And we've also seen them have these complete meltdowns. The, the Wigan game is, is the one that really springs to mind. And, and the second half of this one was where all the hard work they put in this season completely unraveled. But credit where credit's due for Derby, who, as I say, played at a very high intensity for, for the whole um, over the two legs and in the second half managed to finally break down leads, force them to make mistakes. Kiko Kassir and, uh, and, and, and Cooper, Liam Cooper, which is such a shame because he's had such a good season. Uh, the two most at fault. Um, and Derby took their chances, which is what you need to do. And Berardi being Berardi. Yeah, they dealt best with the chaos, as you said. Um, we, we, we are going to touch, I suppose, on the semi-final second legs but really in the context of previewing the final. So let's start with the championship playoff final. This one is on Monday. The forecast, George, is dry. It's not going to be warm. It's not going to be cold. We're looking at around a 16-17 type vibe. Jumper so no coat. I think jumper no coat. Cool. Yeah, okay. uh, one of my three jumpers, which I've already trotted out on all sorts of uh, TV channels, will probably be getting an airing. Um, it's Aston Villa, of course. They beat West Brom on penalties in their semi-final. Um, a, a certainly a less chaotic affair, uh, very cagey that one. And Villa, well, it, it was a penalty shootout. I don't think they can feel necessarily um, particularly proud of, of, of how they played over the two legs, but they got the job done against a, a West Brom team that set up to make it very difficult um, for them. And Derby, we've mentioned there, beating Leeds 4-3 on aggregate. Um, let's start with this. I believe Aston Villa, when I checked earlier, uh, are the shortest favourite out of the three playoff finals. We're going to talk about Charlton Sunderland. We're going to talk about Newport Tranmere. But Aston Villa are the shortest favourite here in this game against Derby. Uh, do you think that's fair? I think because of the nature of that Derby win uh, and, and the fact that there hasn't been any Premier League football maybe in the last few weeks, there's been a lot of focus on, on how Derby did things. And for those who don't follow the league so closely, they might be surprised to see Villa um, fairly strong favourites, as strong as you, as, as you really would be in a playoff final. Yeah, I think it is fair. I think you have to look at not just the two games gone. It would be easy to get bogged down in the fact that, that Villa were less than impressive against West Brom. It would be easy to get bogged down in the fact that Derby had a very, very good 46 minutes against Leeds. But over the course of the season, Villa have been um, by far and away the better team out of these two. Uh, if you're looking at personnel on the pitch, I would argue that, that they have um, the better team on paper. Uh, and I think just the way the game's going to play out will suit them too. I think they've really struggled to break down a West Brom team who's set up very, very defensively indeed. And given the way that Frank Lampard approached the games against Leeds, where he didn't have them let them have possession in areas where they could build up pressure, he pressed them very, very high indeed. I think we're likely to see the same here. Even though it's a playoff final, and often playoff finals are fairly cagey, we normally see one team in the ascendancy Possessionally, I think Derby come into this with very, very little to lose. And, um, and it'd be my hunch that we'll see another game where it's pretty frantic. Um, there's not much time and space. Well, not much time for, for, for certain ball players um, to put their foot on it and, and look up. I think that Derby will try and disrupt um, Villa from, from an early stage. So uh, I, I think that Aston Villa are, are the most likely team to go through here. I think that over the course of the season and the personnel they've got makes that the case. Um, compared to the other two as well, which, which looked to me like more on a knife edge. It is interesting to try and work out how it's going to look. And, you know, as I, I, I tweeted out after the Charlton-Doncaster game, it, it just struck me after that that, 
you know, having followed things through the whole season and, and said a lot of things opined about all teams uh, and in the playoff preview show as well, making some selections, uh, telling or, or, or deciding within ourselves who we thought was the better team is actually when you get to this stage, there is so little between all of these teams. We saw that in the playoff semi-finals and the finals generally are not won by a long way. So when you say Villa are the better team, I don't want people listening to that thinking, you know, particularly slagging off Derby or anything. No, of course that, that not. It, I mean, it's a sort of... Look at the league table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's no, it's, it's no slight on Derby. There's no... You don't have to be, take offence by someone saying that, that another team over the course of the season has been better. That's why they're favourites. That's But Derby have still got a massive chance to get promoted on a, in a 90-minute game. At the same time, you are right to say that, that at least just off the top of my head, it feels like the, the, the playoff finals we've seen generally, maybe because of the pressure, maybe teams have a, a bit more time to, to prepare. But it, it does seem like well, of course they are cagey, but quite often there will be a team that, that sort of seeds possession, so to speak. A team that, that recognises that maybe um, maybe we're not so comfortable as the opposition in possession uh, and, and possibly it'd be worth our while trying to lure them in and, and hit them on the counter-attack. And, and it, it strikes me that's how Derby will be best suited here, I, I think. We've, we've definitely seen, and I'll be careful not to cherry-pick, but we have seen in many games this season, bear in mind before... In the first 35 games of the season, Derby really did flatter to deceive, especially against um, poorer teams. And they really struggled to break down teams who sat deep, um, basically positional play in possession. Uh, what we've seen in that Leeds game, but also on occasion in the, in the last few weeks and months, is that actually with a bit of space to play in, this is where that, that front four, I suppose, is, is, or maybe even front five, is, is most deadly. So the, the difficulty is... West Brom made it very difficult for, for, for Villa. We mentioned, you know, five at the back, three ultimately defensive-minded central midfield players. That was uh, a masterclass in defending deep, to be honest. It doesn't strike me that Derby are necessarily as well set uh, based on personnel, but also style, to really ride that out uh, to quite the same extent. No, It doesn't I, mean you I, can't, I you know, find counter-attacking well, opportunities. I think, but I think the interesting thing is, is that Dean Smith will be very, very keen that his players have more space. Well, but basically can can get in behind and, and find space in, in more advanced areas than they did over two legs uh, against West Brom. But at the same time, as you say, I think Frank Lampard will be more than aware that they were, I don't think they able to weather the storm or they're not as well set out. Uh, I don't think the personnel they have is necessarily... I mean, if you look at Richard Keogh this season, who's turned into the uh, the ball-playing centre-back <laughs> deluxe, I mean, to ask him to go back to, to basically playing a low block, I don't think that'll necessarily work. They're, they're a team full of ball players as well. Um, the likes of Mount and, and Wilson and, and Tom Lawrence are, are players who will, will thrive uh, with space in front of them, in fairness, but also not isolated up top. They're, they're, you know, they're not necessarily players... You look at... People like Dwight Gale uh, in the West Brom game, who absolutely loves just scampering down and chasing down defenders and, and playing with his, you know, facing goal. I think that they'll want to take some of the possessional play in more advanced areas. Um, but as I say, I, I do think that the way that Derby set up against Leeds, especially in the first leg, where if you look at someone like Pablo's passing stats in that game, they're amongst his lowest of the of the whole season, where the whole aim and the plan was just to prevent him from getting on the ball in dangerous areas. I think they'll do the same to Jack Grealish. They gave him pretty harsh treatment early in the season. Um, I think they'll look to drive him back and, and, and make sure that when he's on the board, it's not in positions where they can necessarily he can necessarily hurt them. Um, but it's a bit of a head-scratcher because, as we've said, Villa did look fairly toothless against the low block. So there might be a temptation from Lampard to employ that. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of Derby fans 
calling for that that diamond that they played in the second leg um, to continue here. You wonder whether that would be um, the best way to quash this Villa team. It's it's kind of hard to to think. I mean, I guess one of the one of the things I always think, and, and and you know, so much depends on the opposition and on how your players suit a certain formation. But with with a diamond like they played, the obvious weakness is well, if the opposition have really good attacking wing backs and half decent wide forwards, then we're gonna you know that's where we're we're gonna suffer overloads out wide. But for me, Villa's essentially only weak spot. From the semi-finals, but also generally, is is, is the fullback area is is Neil Taylor and and El Mahamedi, and I, I desperately want to see more from both of those guys uh, in an attacking sense for Villa, because too often we're seeing teams um, say, right, we're we're going to do our best to make sure we lock down Grealish, that we lock down McGinn, that we mark Abraham very tightly, we don't give Hurahan too much space, uh, we don't let El Ghazi have a run at us. We're very, very happy to leave the fullbacks wide open and to let them beat us, essentially. And what we're finding at the moment is that Taylor and Al Mohamedi are not capable of doing that. So I think it's important, while Villa are the better team, if Derby play well, Villa needs something from someone like El Ghazi or Adoma or one of the fullbacks. They've got to offer a little bit more because, you know, you, even the wide men, El Ghazi, obviously so fast and skillful and quite strong, but some of his decision-making is is terrible when he decides to shoot and he should keep going or maybe pass and vice versa. Um, and Adoma looks a bit shot to pieces, to be honest. Um, so it'd be interesting. Uh, the other interesting one, personnel-wise, is who plays at the base of midfield for, for both teams? Because as a profile of a midfield, both teams have fantastic attacking midfield players, um, but you need that balance, don't you? And for Villa, we saw them go with Whelan over Hurahan in the first leg, only for Whelan to make a bad mistake and Hurahan to come on and sort of save the day somewhat. Um, but for Derby as well, can they get away with just having Bradley Johnson or Tom Huddleston? I, I think, Do they need both? I, I think the role of Holmes here will be really important. Um, despite being hauled off at half time or before half time, I think um, they're still the not Jack quite sure whether he's how injured or, he is. Yeah, yeah. but I, I mean, I, I, from what I've read and seen, he's he's supposedly fit for um, for Monday, and I think his energy in midfield is really going to be really important here, especially if, as you have to assume, it's going to be Hurricane instead of um, instead of Whelan. I can't imagine after what happened in the first leg where Whelan made an absolute clangor and it was Hurricane after coming on for him who scored the screamer to get them back in the tie. Um, it would be a massive call of Dean Smith's to, to make that switch again. And I think the energy, therefore, of McGinn and uh, of McGinn, Grealish and um, Hurahane in that midfield means that someone like Holmes, who's very, very mobile, you know, he's played um, a lot of his uh, football in the past in, in wide advanced positions. He's someone who in that midfield can actually be very energetic. Mm. Um, if you were to stick someone like him, for example, on Grealish or on McGinn, I think he'd do a good job. I mean, not necessarily the strongest defensively, but just in terms of en energy and pace and mobility. Um, I think he'd be able to do that. Whereas, I think if you're those three players, if you're McGinn and Grealish especially, and you look up and you've got Bradley Johnson and Tom Huddleston against you, you're going to think this is absolutely perfect. Mm. Um, you'd really fancy your chances in getting past them fairly easily or drawing, drawing them into fouls. Um, so I, I'd be surprised if it is the two of them. I think Johnson will probably get the nod. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'd, I'd be absolutely stunned if when we're handed the uh, the team sheets in the media centre about two minutes before everyone else finds out <laughs> if it's uh, if it's Whelan and not Hurain. Yeah, well Derby to be fair maybe more so at any stage of the season have 
um, you know, multiple attacking players in decent form, which is which is a, a good problem for Lampard to have. But it does make the starting eleven hard to predict, especially with Waghorn coming back from injury. But we're not sure to, to what extent whether that'll be from the start or or off the bench. And and Marriott and Lampard's. Uh, sort of, uh, I don't want to say battle, but their relationship has been interesting. It strikes me looking at Lampard's quotes after that second leg, which Marriott undeniably changed uh, with his energy, with his pace and, and with some fantastic finishing as well, is that Lampard sort of did the classic, well, I want to see him apply himself all the time in training. I want to see him do more off the ball. The sort of quite standard stuff that, that managers say about their strikers and rightly wanting them to offer more than, than, than just a pure um, penalty box goal threat. But... I do wonder, because the Derby fans have been calling for him to play so much, whether there's been a bit of stubbornness as well. And that is a a character trait that all managers have to have. (laughs) You know, it's basically a prerequisite of being a manager is is a sort of stubbornness. Um, But I do wonder whether Lampard maybe held Marriott back. Um, Just, you know, just more to make a statement uh, than anything to sort of show his... Um, show his 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 status, I suppose, as as manager. So look, we want to see uh, Villa in full flow, Grealish playing well. We want to see Derby um, attacking in hopefully in space and and the ball being interchanged quickly between Mount uh, and Wilson and Lawrence and threaded through to Marriott. It, it, it's going to be a fantastic game. Um, the the other thing to note is, well, Villa had had the had the record in the. In the regular season, a 3-0 win and a 4-0 win. Uh, but we're not putting too much into that because Mount didn't play in either of those games. And actually in that second one, the 4-0 win, they were missing Lawrence and uh, Wilson and Mount as well. And their midfield derby that day was George Evans and Max Bird. So um, not putting too much importance on that. If I had to, to squeeze you for a prediction, and, and for these games, I'm going to ask for a, an actual score prediction as well. One nil to Villa. Okay, I'm picking two one uh, Aston Villa. So not three t- goals in a playoff final. Lunacy. Yeah. Well, the quality <laughs> players on the pitch generally uh, are going to be in the midfield and uh, in the final third. So yeah, that would be a lovely way for us to spend Bank Holiday Monday. Um, let's talk about League One now. Uh, this is between Charlton, who beat Doncaster on penalties, and Sunderland, who beat. Portsmouth, uh, 1-0 on aggregate. I still, even after three years of saying the word Portsmouth so often, I still quite often am tempted to say Portsmouth Pirates from the old, I think it was a Budweiser advert. It was some advert from back in the day. Uh, a terrible advert. And by but the way, if you want to buy some Bud, then <laughs> sadly not, 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 <laughs> yeah. not yet. <laughs> we are looking for a beer sponsor though, so do get in touch. But no, um, a terrible advert, although maybe job done. That's good marketing, isn't it? If I still remember it 10 years later, I'm sure many of you will. Extra time multi-ball was uh, another part of that uh, advert series. Look, let me tell you about the forecast because I'm excited about this one. There's a chance of a bit of rain during this game, but it's going to be like hot rain. We're playing golf in the morning. Yeah, it's fine in the morning. I've checked that. Um, It's going to be hot rain maybe during the game. So who knows who that will suit, if anyone. I don't think that exists. I mean, given at the moment I go outside and it's like sunny and it's quite cold, I can't imagine there's going to be hot rain going on. Well, as in it says like 20, 21 degrees, but also a good chance of... Lukewarm rain. Yeah, lukewarm rain. A question from Alex to start here, George. Have your views on Sunderland and Charlton changed at all after the semi-finals? I can't imagine they've shifted much, if at all, but interesting to see 
what you thought of how we both played. Let's start with Sunderland. Uh, a 1-0 aggregate win versus Portsmouth uh, on a bit of a knife edge, but uh, very, very impressive uh, to get over the line. Massively changed. Massively changed. Because my biggest, well, one of the few issues I had with Sunderland was their inability to see out games. And they've just, in their two biggest games this season, have basically hung on to a 1-0 win for absolute ages whilst restricting Portsmouth to very few if any real massive opportunities so and you know if you look at the two teams and who held their nerve better both positionally and in terms of discipline and just decision making they came out on top I still don't necessarily think that the quality you know I, I think that if Charlton turn up they have more quality at their disposal as a team probably to undo Sunderland but whereas previously I'd have been very concerned about Sunderland's ability to, to hang on to a lead if they go ahead I think the players and the, and, and the manager as well must be so over the moon to have overcome that hurdle, given the season they've had and given the end of the season they've had. So many points dropped from leading positions. Um, and to go to Fratton Park and, and, and put in that gritty, horrible display that they did, that's going to be what they need to do. If they can get in front here, that's exactly what they've got to channel to, to get over the line. So definitely, whilst, as I mentioned in the championship part, it's important not to get too carried away about... Um, these two-legged affairs. I think mentally what Sunderland have done is a huge positive. Um, and with Charlton, it's hard to really know because I thought the um, the first leg at Doncaster, they looked like they were going to be home and dry. Mm. They then did the opposite of what I've just been saying and they um, completely... what Their strengths this season, their home form and their, and their defensive record that have been so, so strong suddenly went out the window and the pressure was on. But they held their nerve and won the penalty shootout. So, I mean, you can understand how, just psychologically, the difference between the two semi-finals was vast because although they were both very close, like Charlton scored after two minutes of the second leg to go three-one up, and even heading into it, they would have been so confident. Everyone, including ourselves, pointing out how good their home form had been, how much of a fortress the valley's been, and you know, you, you do wonder when you go two goals ahead so early, whether that just slightly plays on your mind. And they were sloppy, in, in, certainly in the first half uh, against Doncaster. I mean, in the end, the, the, the equalising goal was that uh, header from, from Butler, wasn't it? I think from, uh, well, from a deep corner, and it was just kind of something out of nothing. And I would be surprised if Charlton had the same uh, complacency, if I may say, uh, in, in a final. But of course, it is... Uh, slightly concerning and, and from their point of view they'll need to make sure that they're bang up for this I mean it was almost a bit of a bottle job and, and it wasn't really what we expected but uh, from a Sunderland point of view it's still there's so much interesting to discuss in terms of how they set up and who they play here I mean just firstly it it, it talks to how much of a topsy-turvy season they've had the Ozturk who appears to be the sort of flavour of the month at the back with Flanagan. Ozturk only played something like 230 league minutes up until uh, mid-April. He only made five appearances, but only two of them, I believe, were starts. And uh, then he finished the season playing uh, and has had two excellent games in the playoffs. Um, you've got Oviedo back in business down the left, uh, a player that you know, to all intents and purposes shouldn't be playing in League One given his pedigree and given his undoubted quality, but hasn't really had much consistency this season uh, to show it. But the key for me is is how they set up in midfield. All the Sunderland fans that I've been um, sort of checking in with over the last few days saying that with Catamol and Ledbitter and Max Power 
in a real three central midfield players. Um, they they had more control in the centre of the park. I think that they feel that they've really had all season, which bodes very, very well, uh, especially against the Charlton team, who we know play the diamond in midfield and, and their strength comes through the centre of midfield as well. So it kind of it would make sense in my eyes to, to keep with that three, Leadbitter, Catamol and Power. Um, but it slightly puts George Honeyman at, at risk. Honeyman's the captain. Um, he's the local lad. Uh, he's mostly played uh, a sort of number 10 in a 4-2-3-1 this season. Um, he can play out wide, but I might be wrong. I've just got a feeling that he's he's not really given some of the attacking players around him, like Maguire and McGeady, and given those central midfield players I've mentioned. He's sort of... He's neither a key attacking or defensive player uh, for me in terms of the system. Now, uh, you know, his leadership qualities, the fact he's captain, that goes a long way. But I do wonder if, if Ross has a bit of a headache with, with Honeyman. He could play him out wide, but that would mean only one of, uh, of Maguire, McGeady and Morgan uh, starting on the other side. And, and if that means one up front, probably Wyke, possibly Grigg. Um, I just wonder if, you know... As much as they'll have a bit more control in midfield, that might leave them just lacking a little bit up front. We've seen quite a lot this season, haven't we, that they haven't always been the most fluid attacking team, consistently creating chances, but they have got the, the, the quality um, of individual that has sometimes sort of got them out of it. So, I mean, back to what we were talking about from, from Villa and Derby, George. Do you expect either team to, to really seize and have, have most of the game here, have most of, of the ball. I'm, I'm finding it quite difficult to work out how this one's going to look for us in the stands. I, I can't, really, can't really work it out either, to be honest. I think this could be one that's really, really cagey. Um, there's so much at stake for both teams. I can't imagine either coming into it um, in huge confidence. McGeady seemingly is going to be fit, which is which is massive. And I think we'll see him trying to isolate himself as much as possible wide on that left wing. So that Possibly means no mags from the start, though. Yeah, which is a, a huge blow. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, the key thing here, I think, for Sunderland is going to be the lack of reliance or the lack of belief they have in their, in their defensive unit. Um, and I think that realistically... A bit more belief after the semi-finals. Yeah, of course. But at the same time, I think if you're looking at in individually, I think they're going to be hoping that the likes of, of well, certainly Lyle Taylor, um, and you're also looking at Arebo, aren't going to be spending the whole game um, hassling their, their centre-backs. Mm. So for that reason, we might see them trying to keep the ball a little bit higher than, than we're maybe used to. Um, they do have some good ball players as well. And I think, as ever... Um, it's going to be really important. The you know the set pieces are going to be absolutely huge here with, with, with Ledbetter um, this season since he's come in. I think without his set pieces, they they wouldn't be where they are. So I, I can't really necessarily pinpoint the way I can see this game going. I think it's going to be one of those where whoever turns up and, and starts the game better will probably be in the ascendancy. It wouldn't be a surprise to either team dominating possession. Um, but I do think that Taylor, especially against the whoever does start at centre back for Sunderland, is going to be the key battle. Yeah, and well, Taylor versus centre-back, but also Taylor against John McLaughlin, uh, the Sunderland goalkeeper, who, uh, as much as they deserved their win against Portsmouth and over 180 minutes, did restrict Portsmouth to only uh, maybe three or four good chances over 180 minutes. But it was McLaughlin who made some absolutely fantastic saves in the second leg um, to deny Evans and Vaughan and, and Hawkins as well. So one more huge game from McLaughlin, something he's been doing uh, regularly all season uh, and, and that could go a long way to getting Sunderland um, through. It sounds like we are uh, 
we've kind of both shifted a little <laughs> bit away from Charlton towards Sunderland, but I'm still landing slap bang in the middle. I'm afraid, and I'm not trying to do that classic clickbait media nostalgia thing of, of talking, going back to the, that final in the late 90s. But I do think this one might go all the way. I think we might see penalties here. So what's your score prediction? I think it might be 1-1 one, one, and okay. then penalties. I think whoever... Whoever scores first wins 1-0. Okay. Um, and I'm going to say Charlton um, without much conviction just because I, I do think that player by player, I, I think that just in terms of key players, um, I'd be more concerned if I was a if I was a Sunderland fan, despite, you know, obviously the, the names in the Sunderland team are huge and McGeady probably is uh, up there with the best, most dangerous players in the league. Um, fitness issues, we've seen so many times in these one-off games that players who are rush back to fitness and are lauded by the fans for being fit often don't quite turn up because mm. it's a massive game to come into without much match experience without much experience in the last couple of weeks of course missing the semis um so i'm going to say 1-0 charlton okay. but not but not you know i'm not here with my usual um you know newcastle shirt on saying <laughs> saying I, I do think that sunderland come into this uh, with a much better chance of getting promoted um than, than I would have imagined I would do had they got past Portsmouth before the game. I think it's fair to say that generally we don't rate experience and uh, you know knowing big games as uh, like the, the, the most important thing in one of these games. But looking at some of the names on the Sunderland team sheet, um, the likes of Ledbitter and Catamole and, and McGeady, even someone like Grigg, um, you do wonder whether they might have a tiny, tiny, tiny... 2% edge just in terms of, but then, of that. But that's their names. I mean, I, I would, who would I rather have in my team, Lyle Taylor or Will Grigg for this? Taylor by a mile. Who would I rather have, Honeyman or Aribo? Aribo by a mile. So mm. these guys, or in, even like Catamol or, or Bielik, um, just because these guys have been there and done it before, I think that Char these Charlton players are showing that right now, in my opinion, they're, they're the dominant ones. Um, that's not to say that the, going into a game like this, that experience could help. But also you've got to think that some of these Charlton players last season had the heartbreak um, of, of being knocked out in the playoffs. So maybe it's going to be if, you know, the complacency of those players could come into play rather than their experience as well. Yeah. The like, the like, I mean, that midfield trio that you've spoken about may think that they're going to get the run of this game mm. because, the, 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 you know, the youth of, uh, of Charlton. But, I mean, these are talented players who, who are destined for much higher than League One, whether it's with Charlton or not. So Yeah, they could do worse than have a look at that Doncaster performance at the Valley in the second leg, especially the midfield players, because they really disrupted the, the, the Charlton midfield. and We were expecting a lot of silky forward passing and combination play between them, and it didn't really happen. Um, they found it very, very difficult. And uh, a lot of the players that we've banged on about, um, Bielik had a, had a decent game, but by his standards, probably not his best. He does give this team great versatility, of course, and if Sunderland throw a curveball and go 4-4-2 with Grigg and Wyke up front, well, A, I think the fans, I think half of them probably wouldn't even turn up, but it would mean that Bielik could slot in and make it a back three as well, which could help them deal with that threat. Um, so he's really vital. I'd be interested to see if Johnny Williams plays in this game. He, he has been out the side at the expense of Albie Morgan, who's a young midfield player. Um, he has got that bit of Premier League quality on the ball uh, and skill and vision and, and, and good passing um, but whether they might find him uh, potentially due to his fitness problems 
uh, and his small stature, uh, maybe not much of a physical presence, uh, I, I'm not sure, but such a clever player and, of course, a, a, a star, if I may say, of the Netflix documentary. So there'll be plenty of narrative there with the cameras um, who'll be there as well. And lastly, just, a, 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 I guess, a quirk of statistics. Uh, our friend Jimmy was the one to flag this one up. Before the semifinals had even concluded, he said... Um, surely Charlton Sunderland will be the first time two teams have contested different playoff finals in different leagues. I can't imagine there have been many times two teams have played each other twice, let alone in different leagues in the same league. Uh, and we checked with Richard Foster, who obviously wrote the book about the playoffs, and he confirmed that, which was nice. Uh, the other fun stat, which comes from me and my own memory back in August, is that the first game in the League One season was the early kickoff on opening day between Sunderland and Charlton, which Sunderland won very late on. Charlton, a very different looking Charlton side, couldn't even fill their bench that day. Uh, and it will also be the last game in Skybet League One this season. So that is uh, a lovely bit of, of symmetry. George, what about League Two? We've got Tranmere and Newport, and equally for me, quite a difficult one to break down, especially as we uh, are both fans of, of both teams I think it's fair to say so it's kind of a win-win here for us um, <laughs> not that anyone winning is a win-win yeah of you, course we, except for Oxford because we are perfectly neutral uh, Tranmere beat Forest Green 2-1 on aggregate in the semi-final Newport beat Mansfield on penalties the forecast don't forget this one this is the spicy one baking hot on Saturday it? yeah it's going to be absolutely wonderful um, should I wear a cap uh, yeah maybe it depends if you're playing in goal or not um, you might need one. I am very excited for this. And two teams, George, who, who had really impressive semi-final progression. Uh, I don't think we necessarily learned much more about the teams that we hadn't kind of predicted and knew already, um, but it's hard not to be very impressed with both sides. I really was impressed but by, well, I was really impressed by Tranmere, um, and that's not to say, I don't realise saying that now makes it sound like I'm not impressed with Newport, but I am. But with Tranmere, it was, it was the manner in which they they approached that second leg where having gone behind fairly early to Forest Green, there was just no panic. They just mm. re retained the ball in advanced areas. And even after they got the goal to send them ahead on aggregate, they continued to probe for another one, continued to look very, very solid at the back, didn't let the game unravel into, into absolute chaos. Um, were very uh, clever in winning free kicks just to slow the game down. Um, especially towards the end of the match, and they obviously got another Forest Green player sent off. Um, so just the management from that, and maybe because they went through the same, the same process last season. Uh, Mickey Mellon's obviously a manager as well, who who's been through a lot as a as a player, um, and it, it just felt like a very mature performance and a very mature way of, of qualifying. Uh, Newport's on the other hand was a bit more haphazard, maybe. Yeah. Um, but they were taking on a team of Mansfield who. You know, top the XG charts for over the whole campaign for League Two. Um, had one of the most expensively assembled squads. They had no real right to be um, anywhere near them over two legs. And it may have taken penalties, but it was a massive, massive effort to do that. And just another feather in the cap of, uh, of Michael Flynn um, of, of getting through, getting past teams in, in, in cup format and just getting this, you know, he says it's a relegation budget and under him it's a, it's a, it's a top seven budget. So... It's of all the of all the games. I think, given um, how the seasons have gone, this is the one where you've got to just think it's going to be really harsh on one team that they're going to be 
um, going home disappointed. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see how Flynn sets up this Newport side because uh, generally uh, this season we've seen them play a 3-5-2 system in the second leg against Mansfield. They played with more of a back four, um, which did see them a little bit more open at the back and they... You know, it was notable how many chances they conceded against Mansfield in that second leg. But equally, uh, it, it did help them uh, a fair bit in terms of, of how they were able to deal with the midfield battle. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Tramia are a team that will play one up front and that will be Norwood. And, and I don't think there's really any question with that. So I wonder whether you need the extra centre-back, whether you need three centre-backs uh, uh, against a team playing one up front. I, I guess if there's any striker in the league you probably would keep three on one for at the back. It would be Norwood just because of his movement. Um, and, and um, you know, the, the, the excellent Newport centre-backs maybe not the most mobile. So Norwood will be confident of, of sort of pull, pulling them out of position. Maybe it would be worth them um, keeping three at the back. There's a couple of things that I sort of flagged up uh, when I was looking at this one today. One of them is, is, is that um, we know that Newport play uh, a style that puts so much pressure on the opposition um, in terms of defending aerial balls into the box um, with, with bodies, basically. Whether it's from set pieces or, or even from open play, they're very good at working opportunities to cross the ball and, and not always necessarily crosses from out wide, but just getting it in there, even from, from deeper central areas. Um, and, and with Matt, who is such a tall, rangy striker, and Armand sniffing around the, the real poacher of the team, um, you really can't afford to switch off. So I, I, I was remembering how well uh, Manny Mont, who's probably, as, aside from Jason Shackle, for me, the best centre-back in the division this season, um, and Sid Nelson, they both played really well in, in that game against Forest Green, but I'm not sure Deutsch offered them a, as much of a physical battle as Newport will. And I was looking, Manny Mont, one of the best aerial defenders in the division, there's no doubt about that, that comes through in the stats um, in the top 10 for aerial dual success rate. But Sid Nelson, uh, notable for being less strong in the air. Um, you know, by no means someone who loses the majority of his aerial duels, but someone who only wins, according to Scout, 55% of his, of his aerial duels. Strikes me that that is an area for Newport to, to look at. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see early on plenty of balls being put in the box and, and Matt making sure that he's on... Um, on Nelson trying to win a flick on. So we know that Newport score a lot of goals from, from long throws. I think five uh, this season in the league, which is much higher than, than anyone else in the EFL. And that'll be a thing. The other thing for me here, George, is I'm not in love with Tramier's bench options. Um, and I think this is going to be a really tight game. Another one I wouldn't be surprised to see go to extra time, which if it's really hot, will be very tough for the teams. <laughs> and looking at their bench over the last five or six games, Mellon Bet, he... He, he rarely uses all three. He's been using one or two generally. Uh, and it feels like quite a big drop-off between the players they have starting and the, and the options they have off the bench. So whereas Newport can bring on Aziz, who's another big, strong striker, uh, Marsh Brown, who's got a bit of skill, even Tyreek Backinson, the young midfielder on loan from Bristol City, who we talked up so much in the first half of the season, hasn't been able to get in the team in the last 10 games or so, but he's an option off the bench for, for Newport. So if it is tight all the way through um, that's something I, I see maybe being a, a key factor here as well we were asked uh, because we're going on the Sky Sports preview show aren't we on Friday night we are yeah which I definitely should have said at the top of the show <laughs> um, and we were asked for, to sort of think about a, a key player for Newport 
very difficult to do because basically f- from back to front, starting with Day, the goalie, and finishing with Armand and Matt, it's very hard to sort of separate the the important players from the the true key player, which is which is you know it's very nice, isn't it? Um, we have been asked if is the, can we say the key player is Michael Flynn? Mike Flynn, what a guy! Can we say just, that? Can that be our line? Yeah. We should say we that. Shouldn't have, we should, yeah, we should have saved that for the... I might edit that bit out. The line. Um, look, we've been asked by Alex if the battle of Day versus Norwood, that is the Newport goalkeeper versus the League Two top goal scorer, Tranmere sharpshooter James Norwood, is that going to be the one that decides the tie? I think Norwood is, is the key player of the tie. It absolutely has to be. Um, just the way, I mean, we said it in the, in the, the um, betting previews. Just the, the way he plays, the way that his, he's so physical and they're so reliant on him for goals and just for shots that inevitably his role in this is going to be huge. I can't see a way that he doesn't turn up, has a quiet game and, and Chami win the game in 90 minutes. I just can't see how that's going to happen. So, yes. That's a, in a, a long answer, yes. No, I quite agree with you. I, I, as you said, it, it, it almost gave me a pang of worry for Tramir that well, certainly just from our opinion and, and it's not to say they don't have other quality players in midfield like uh, Banks and, and, and Jennings and, and perhaps Gilmore if he gets a go um, but it slightly worries me if, if you are maybe more reliant on one player than a team like Newport who I just mentioned having so many players that can affect the game so uh, look a really really tough game it's going to be a fantastic start to the weekend and George I'm going to push you for a score prediction uh, for this game Tranmere against Newport one all. Okay. Tranmere in extra time. Oh, nice. Okay. Tranmere in extra time. I'm going 2-1 to Newport. And I think that might be an extra time as well. So 2-1 Newport in extra time. And look, George, just last day on this, we'll, I kind of touched on it at the top, but you're either getting a Tranmere double playoff promotion into League One, which historically and in terms of their average attendance and probably their potential budget that they could reach is probably where they they feel they should be as a club uh, at least of course a team that have played in the second tier for a lot a, a long part of our lives uh, and a Newport team who if they go up this would be just hopefully just another chapter rather than the ending of the Mike Flynn uh, miracle story so uh, really one to get our teeth into and one that we tell everyone listening they need to tune into even if they might support a league one or a championship team um, that one's on on Saturday. So we're going to be seen and heard quite a lot this weekend. Do we need to almost apologise in advance? Oh, yeah. I think in 48 hours, you're doing Football Weekly Extra, The Guardian again. So I made my debut last week. It's Ali doing it next week. And then, sorry, this week. And then I'm doing Talk Sport 2 and Talk Sport on Thursday evening, 7.30 till 8 on Talk Sport 2, 8 till 9 on Talk Sport. And then we are both doing Sky Sports News mm. before the game on Saturday from Wembley. And then on Friday night, we're doing the, um, the playoff preview show. So in your eyes and in your ears, <laughs> we don't apologise for everything. You won't see us again until July. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a, good, that's a nice lead into what I was just going to say. Here's a nice nugget for any of you who have uh, stayed the course here. Is that this week or in the last 10 days, I have travelled to record two uh, episodes of NTT20 meets and they are both uh, managers not currently in work in the EFL but both really interesting characters with 
fascinating lives in football and I'm really excited to release these. We're holding them back to after the playoffs because we've been very busy with playoff stuff and because we are going to have a bit of a holiday um, to start June. But worry not, there will be Not The Top 20 pod content. Both interviews are quite long, so they might be split into to two parts each, um, but definitely worth it. So please... Uh, if you're worried that the playoff final spells the end of Not The Top 20, well, don't worry. We're, we're going to do our best to make sure that we're getting some stuff out um, early in June. But enough of that. We're not finished yet. Playoff final weekend. Uh, George and I will be there. Please tweet us any questions that you have off the back of this, any thoughts that you have as well. Um, let us know if you're going to be there. Uh, we'd love to come say hi if possible. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for listening throughout the season. But to this Playoff final preview as well from Not The Top 20 pod. We'll talk again soon.